Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 9 from the World English Bible. For all this I laid to my heart, even to explore all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hatred, man doesn't know it. All is before them. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good, to the clean, to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who doesn't sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one event to all. Yes, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. For to him who is joined with all the living there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything, neither do they have any more a reward. For their memory is forgotten, also their love, their hatred, and their envy has perished long ago, neither do they any longer have a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Go your way. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments be always white and don't let your head lack oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life of vanity, which he has given you under the sun all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in your labor in which you labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, nor plan, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all, for man also doesn't know his time as the fish that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, even so are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it falls suddenly on them. I have also seen wisdom under the sun in this way, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city, and few men within it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now a poor wise man was found in it, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the cry of him who rules among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. That is the end of chapter 9. Verse 1 gets this section off with recognizing the righteous and the wise and their works 
are in the hand of God. First, it is curious that the preacher doesn't include the wicked here, and for that reason, I think in the hand indicates caring for them, much like we've mentioned Romans 8.28, where God works all things together for good for those who love him. The next lines compare this to what man knows, or rather what he doesn't know on his own. And from the preacher's under the sun perspective, it's like he acknowledges the character and power of God, but because the preacher is so caught up in this under the sun, he can't see past it. So he goes right back to the inevitability of death. In verse 3, he talks about this evil or hard thing that is to happen to everyone. And then the preacher alludes to the reason that man's heart is full of evil and madness. And this is what brought death into the world. See Genesis 2, verses 15 through 16. In verse 4, we again see how conflicted the preacher is. After all this time saying things like, it's better not to be born, it's better to be stillborn, it's better to be in the house of mourning, he says, it is better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Biblically, a dog represents the lowest of the low, scavengers, and a lion usually represents kings when a lion is used metaphorically like this. So here we have a king, as he described himself, saying that a living poor man is better than a dead king, if I'm understanding this correctly. His reason is that dead people don't know or do or have anything, and this truly is an under-the-sun point of view. In the World English Bible version here, he says, the dead don't have a reward, but let's go to other scriptures. In Genesis 15, 1, God tells Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. In Psalm 19, 11, it says, in keeping God's judgment, there's great reward. And in Psalm 58, 11, it says, there is a reward for the righteous when the wicked are judged. Isaiah 40 says, His reward is with him, referring to God, which is also referenced in Isaiah 62.11. And Isaiah 49.4 says, My reward is with the Lord. Then going to the New Testament, Matthew 5.46 and Luke 6.23 talk about someone's reward being great in heaven. In Matthew 6.5, it talks about getting a reward openly. In Matthew 10.41, it talks about those who serve prophets getting a prophet's reward. And in Matthew 16.27, it talks about getting a reward according to works when he comes in his glory. Luke 6.35 says that loving your enemies ends up with a reward that will be great. In 1 Corinthians 3.8, it says each will have his own reward. And in Colossians 2.18, it says, let no one cheat you of your reward. And also in Colossians 3.24, it talks about the reward of inheritance. That's some of the scriptures referring to our reward. So you can see that the preacher's point of view is lacking. Like Job's friends, the preacher sounds spiritual, but it is only with man's earthly perspective. As for being forgotten, the preacher who is repeating this over and over is herein through the centuries remembered. Time, a frustrated theme of his, actually proves him wrong. And as for verse 6, where he says they, the dead no longer have a portion under the sun, I refer you to God's promises to Abraham that were for years and many years after Abraham was gone from under the sun, fulfilled for him. 
And then what about John 8, specifically verse 56, where Abraham rejoiced to see his, Jesus's day, and Mark 12, where the seven brothers, one wife riddle is proposed to Jesus. And then in verse 27, Jesus says that God is the God of the living, not of the dead, specifically because the Sadducees were denying the resurrection. Then the preacher returns to his pessimistic merriment again in verse 7. And again, he's part right. We should be content. See Philippians 4.11, 1 Timothy 6.8, and Hebrews 13.5. But we are supposed to be content because of our faith in Jesus Christ and our hope in his return. When talking about being content, the preacher uses imagery that is unfamiliar to me in my culture, but again, biblically, we can get a sense of what he's talking about. For instance, in Esther chapter 8.15, it talks about Mordecai having a white garment, indicating cleanliness and honor. In Daniel 7.9, it talks about the Ancient of Days being in a garment whiter than snow. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 4, it talks about white garments indicating undefiled and in verse 5, for those who overcome. So you can see having a white garment is a very good thing. As far as the head not lacking in oil, Psalm 45.7 talks about the oil of gladness. Isaiah 61.3 talks about the oil of joy. And in Exodus 29.2, it talks about the anointing or consecrating oil as a sign of blessing. This gives you an idea of how oil was viewed in that culture. For me, as someone who has personally greatly benefited from olive oil, I am perhaps more aware than many people in our culture where an oily face is despised with how soothing and healing olive oil can be. I also found a link on BibleStudyTools.com that specifically talks about oil biblically, and I'll link to that. In verse 9, the preacher affirms God's original design of one wife and one husband, but still ends with calling everything vanity in his under-the-sun perspective. Then verse 10 reminds me of Colossians 3, verses 23 through 24, again showing how the preacher's point of view is man and fallen earth-centered. And we already have shown that his perspective of Sheol, and as he ominously refers to where you are going, is incomplete from this perspective. As it talks about in Colossians, when we are working with our whole heart, we're doing it to serve our God, who we have hope in in eternity. When in verse 11, the preacher bemoans that the race is not to the swift, etc., we can again agree that this is true from an earthly perspective without God. But for those who love Yahweh, there is both joy in serving him while we linger on this fallen earth and the hope of eternity in the new heavens and earth. See Romans 15.13, 1 Timothy 2.19, Psalm 16.11, Isaiah 51.11, Habakkuk 3.18, Matthew 13.20 and Matthew 25.21. There is such a thing as chance, which is verified both in Deuteronomy 22.6, where it talks about if you happen to come upon, if you chance to come, upon, to come upon a bird's nest, and in the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus is telling in Luke 10.31, where he talks about the different people 
chancing to come upon the injured man, but we who believe are in the hand of God, and while he has let the present world groan under corruption, God does work his purposes. See Exodus 9.16, Job 42.2, Isaiah 14.26, Mark 1.38, and Acts 4.28. The Bible talks about both man's purposing, like 2 Corinthians 9.7, and God's purposing, but God's will always overcome man's purpose. See James 5.11 and Genesis 50.20. God set the world in motion and lets man act according to their choices, but he has the omniscience and omnipotence to weave all the choices to his purposes. He is just that great. Verse 12 refers to the fact that the great majority of us don't know exactly when or how we will die. Some notable exceptions to this are Moses and Hezekiah. But the preacher compares us to fish and birds caught by hunters. Yet we know from Matthew 10 verses 28 through 31 that not even one sparrow falls without our Father knowing and being in control of it. And we are worth more than many sparrows. We are in his hand. And the preacher would do well to remember his own words there. Verses 13 through 17 are again caught up in the dilemma of extolling wisdom on the one hand, but seeing wickedness persist on the other. People often don't heed wisdom, but that doesn't make it not true or not valuable. For an extreme comparison, a thirsty person can refuse fresh water if somehow he has convinced himself or allowed himself to be convinced that he doesn't need it and he will die sooner or later. And it is true that one sinner can wreak havoc in the lives of others, but in the fullness of time, when God knows it is the best time, the groaning of creation mentioned in Romans 8.22 will be over. God will wipe away every tear, and there will be no more death, Revelation 21.4. Somehow the preacher has lost sight of this, and his under-the-sun point of view is causing his soul to churn like a stomach full of bad mushrooms. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 